0: Dorothy Sayers was a friend of C.S. Lewis's. She was a a poet and a playwright and an essayist and the uh, author of a best-selling series of mystery novels. Uh, She also wrote and released a a series of plays entitled The Man Who Would Be King, which was uh, about Jesus Christ. And it was released... uh, Alongside C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, they were both released um, over the BBC, a series of nights in 1941, uh, to the nation that was at war. And it was quite controversial um, for a handful of reasons. The man who would be king uh, got people's attention chiefly because it was so real. Sayers uh, believed that the story had become muffled by familiarity and the, the failure of people to appreciate that these were real characters. And so she made it a real-sounding play, and one of the things she refused to do uh, was to make Jesus speak as if he was speaking King James English. It was all a bit of a scandal. Uh, I have been uh, selective in the video clips that I have played for you. I started today's clip after the birth of Jesus because I thought some of you might be offended even by the, the mild birth scene in this play, but, or in this, in this particular movie clip. But I have been playing them because I very much want you to think about, to experience this story in a new way, to understand that it's real, right? That we are talking about real characters and real events. Last week and this week, my point has been Jesus is not simply a historic figure. He is a historical figure as well. He is a real person. The message that he delivers is not a generic message that could be delivered by anyone that is true whether he came or not. To a great extent, he is the message. And if Jesus wasn't a real person who was really born to Mary and Joseph, if he wasn't God become a real man 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, if this didn't really happen then the whole thing caves in upon itself. Last week, I I complained that today, increasingly, people are separating faith and reason. And they are relegating faith to the the realm of feelings. And they are telling us to look inside ourselves to discover truth. I said, Luke would not understand any of that. He is is giving us the report of his investigation. I talk to the witnesses. I talk to the people. I am reporting real history. And so today I I want you to understand principally that the good news is news. It's not good feelings. It's not good advice. It's not good ideas. It's not good wishes. It's none of that. It's good news. News. It is a report of events that actually happened. And these particular events demand a response. Jesus stands as if in the center of the road and forces us to go one way or the other, forces us to make uh, a decision. So, what I want to do is is walk us through um, this passage, Luke chapter 2, commenting on it. We're beginning today with Luke 2, verse 8, and going through verse 20. Luke 2, chapter 8, excuse me, Luke 2, verse 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Okay, so get a little bit of a picture of Israel here. If your view, if your, if your image of this is nice, green, plush, rolling countrysides, and your job as a shepherd is to care for fat, well-fed sheep and under brilliant uh, night skies and wonderfully warm days, then uh, you're thinking of New Zealand, not Israel. Uh, Israel is a harsh land. It was a difficult place to eke out an existence. And the job of a shepherd was a a dreary, low-paying, lonely job with long hours in harsh conditions. Um, Perhaps some of you, some of you men, played, uh, played shepherds in Christmas pageants when you were growing up. If that's the case... It's a, it's a good job when you're eight or nine. It really, it's much better than being a wise man because the wise men had to carry little jewelry boxes supposedly full of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's much better than being Joseph because uh, he had to walk in with a girl. Uh, if, you were, if you were a shepherd, you got a stick, and you could um, you know, beat each other with them during rehearsals. So you wanted to be a shepherd, um, but in real life, uh, no. It was a bad job. It was a, it was a low-paying, lonely job. It was you and a bunch of dumb, defenseless sheep. You could not participate in the life of Israel. You were not there for the sacrifices and the festivals. Your status was so low you couldn't testify in a court of law. It was a bad job. If your guidance counselor was suggesting you consider being a shepherd, okay, you 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 cut too many days of class. This is not a good career option. Nevertheless, in in what is a pattern throughout the Gospels, God shows up first to the least, to the lost. To the forgotten, to the despised, to the overlooked. The announcement that is made by the angel is not made to the rich and powerful, right? It's not made to kings and queens. It's made to a bunch of shepherds out in the field at night. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Again, whenever angels show up, they terrify people. they are frightening in their goodness or their power or their glory, whatever we don 't know i don 't know haven 't seen an angel, but they 're not um, cute, precious moments, figurines, they frighten people. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. but the angel said to them. Do not be afraid I bring you good news of great joy that will be for you that will be for all the people today in the town of David which is Bethlehem Today in the town of David a savior has been born he is Christ the Lord. This is the first time we see these three titles, these three offices put together Savior Christ the And Lord, He is the rescuer. He is the appointed one, the anointed one, the Messiah, and He is Lord. He is Master. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you: you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Okay the the film clip doesn't doesn't attempt this right but the heavens part an army of angels thunders out the announcement they they point essentially at the at the Christ child and they say He's the one you've been waiting for. This is God's Son. This is Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Follow him, honor him, worship him, adore him. He's the one that you have been waiting for. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. Of course they did. When the heavens part and an army of angels thunders out, something big has happened nearby. You go and you look. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed and what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. Uh, this is a, a familiar passage. It's hard to make it through December and not uh, hear it recited once or twice if, if nowhere else as uh, in the Charlie Brown Christmas special with Linus. Uh, but I think Sayers is right when she noted that uh, some passages become so familiar that we fail to appreciate uh, what it is that they are reporting. So I want to be sure that you understand exactly what it is that they are reporting. The heavens parted and an army of angels joined with the lead angel in reinforcing the announcement that this is the one you've been waiting for. This is Savior, Messiah, and Lord. the rescuer, the promised one, Master. Follow and obey. I occasionally have people say to me i I, I just wish that God would speak to me out of heaven and tell me what it is. That I'm supposed to do. Okay, he did. You go, well, I wasn't there. No, we seldom are there when big things happen. We rely on someone who was there to report to us what happened. That's, in essence, what Luke is doing. He wasn't there, but he assembled the report. He talked to the people who were there. He interviewed the witnesses. He interviewed first and second hand accounts of what was going on and he related it to us. And I'm, I am stressing this today because that's, that's what we are being given. Right? We are being given a report of actual events that happened to real people at a real place in history, in a real location. And I I stress this because today, first of all, many people tell us to look inside, look into your heart, figure out what's real. That's not what the Bible is saying. And I stress this also because the Bible sets up a a fairly clear-cut option for us. And yet today, many people make it very confusing to figure out exactly who Jesus is, what he claimed, and how we might respond. So I want to make this as simple as I can today and set the options as they are found in this book in front of you. And then try and explain the options as they get explained outside to you and show you how they're actually quite different. So I'm going to use a series of diagrams. I have four main ones. If we were going to diagram using just a basic decision matrix how this is being presented to us, we would be given this diagram which says there is Jesus standing in the center of the road forcing us to choose between two options. He is Savior, Messiah, and Lord, or he's not, right? He is God, or he's not. Now, in fairness, at Luke 2, we don't have enough yet to say that Jesus is claiming to be God. I'm jumping ahead of us just a little bit, but he will make that claim. Jesus will claim, the New Testament will present that Jesus is, is God. He accepts worship. He forgives sins. He says he was there the very beginning before all time. He is present at creation. He will return as judge over everyone, everywhere. Uh, you know, he is one with the Father. The, Jesus will be put to death. The, the religious leaders will want Christ put to death for claiming to be God. So Jesus claims to be God. Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Either he is or he isn't that's the way it's being presented to us in Luke 2:13 now you may not like the fact that those are your only options there's lots of times i don't like my options i want different options but the important thing is to know what the options actually are my job as a pastor includes making the message as clear as i can make it i don't get to change the message There's parts of it I'd probably change if I could, but I can't add to it. I can't take away from it. The message is the message. And the message is we got two options Jesus is either who he claims to be or he's not. Those are the options. And the options include really good news (laughs) there's a Savior, there's a Messiah. Right? He came. Somebody died in your place. You can be forgiven. You can gain eternal life. It's actually good news. It's not just news. It's really, really good news. Nevertheless, some people don't like the news, don't believe the news, and some people don't like the options, and so they change the options. They say, I'm not going to choose between those two options. I'm going to go a third way. And so we have a different diagram. And this diagram suggests that Jesus maybe is God or maybe he's not or maybe he's just a really good man. That that he's, he's a prophet, he's a sage, he's a great, wise, loving example and moral reformer. He is, somebody, he is somebody we should follow. He is remarkable. But he's not Savior. He's not Messiah. He's not Lord. He's just not. But rather than being forced to say he is or he isn't, lots of people say, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I think he is. As a matter of fact... This is probably the most popular view out there today. Almost nobody wants to say bad things about Jesus. So lots of people want to say good things about Jesus, but they want to deny that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And this has always been a popular option. So popular, in fact, that we have lots and lots of third options. If we were going to diagram what we hear out there or what we have heard over the course of the last 2,000 years, we get something that looks like this. Jesus is God-like. Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is the best man ever. Or Jesus never existed. Right? You hear lots of people responding to the options that they're being given and This has been going on for 2,000 years, and so it's worth noting that that the church very early on developed a response to this. The earliest days, the church developed several ways to refute the idea that you could choose to say something other than Jesus is who he claimed to be or he's not. The first thing we see is is the Latin phrase um, Deus, out homo malus, which is means Jesus is God or He's a bad man. Right? This idea that Jesus is a good man, they said, no, no, you're not, you're not thinking this through. He claims to be God. He claims to be able to forgive sins. He claims to deserve worship. So either that's true or it's not. If it's not, he either knows that it's not true but he's telling people to worship him, follow him, obey him, honor him when he knows that he doesn't deserve it, which means that it's he's lying about who he is or he thinks he's God. He thinks he's someone special, he thinks he's eternal and he's not, which means he's profoundly disturbed. So you have the god or bad man. The second, more formal response that the church developed was to the argument put forward by a a third and late third, early fourth century popular teacher named Arius who said, Jesus is God-like. Jesus is God-like. Jesus is, is so close to being fully God, but not completely. The arguments are are technical, but let's just suggest that Arius' plea was to say, let's say Jesus is 99% God, but not equal to the Father. He's not fully God. And the the first time the church leaders got together, they said, we have got to put put a stop to this. And what came out of that gathering was the Nicene Creed which fully affirmed the deity of Christ. And it said, Jesus is light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made of one substance, of one essence with the Father. In other words, they said, saying that Jesus is almost God is, is, no, is no good. He is either God or he is a bad man. Now, just because this has been clearly laid out, just because this is the argument found in Scripture, just because this is what Christ claimed, uh, that doesn't mean that people have agreed to their options. Giving people door one or door two, you still have lots of people that say, I'm choosing door three. And in the last sort of very quietly 100 years ago, really in a much bigger way in the last 20 years, we have a whole nother line of thinking that has emerged. And this has come from those people who have said, who have who've sort of blunted the force of Christ's claim by saying all religions are true. All, all great leaders can be whoever they want to claim to be, right? That in the end, all faiths are essentially the same. We may be talking about calling God by different names, but we're all praying to the same entity. We may be driving on different roads, but we're all climbing the same mountain, and we will meet at the top. This view is called pluralism. And it's remarkably attractive. And I, there's lots of pluralists, and I've talked with lots of pluralists, and I've read the books uh, that have been written by pluralists. And I really, there's a lot there that I really, really wish that it were true. It's very open-minded and very in, enlightened-sounding, and it, it's, you know, it would just be nice. The problem is, it doesn't stand up to even the slightest bit of scrutiny. For starters, we we need to acknowledge that this is not at all what this book says. The, The Bible is quite clear that there are different paths, but they lead in different directions. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes on in a very important section to say there is a popular path that leads away from God. There is, a, there is a very, very broad trail that goes in the wrong direction, and there is a narrow path that takes us in the right direction. And additionally, he makes the most bold and exclusive claims that can be made, saying, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me, I'm the only God-man. I'm the only perfect person. It's a, it's a remarkably shocking thing for this man who lives so humbly to make such bold claims. Now, we're, you are perfectly at rights to say, well, he's wrong, right? He's, he's not the only way. But you at least have to acknowledge that is what this book says. That is the claim. The Bible is quite clear that there is one way back to God. And, for the record, point two, this is what all the other religions claim. This is what all the other philosophies claim. This is what all the other worldviews claim. If you look at them, they don't say, we're one viable option among many. They don't even say, we're we're the best option among many. They say, always, always. We're the only option. Right? I mean, the the Islam doesn't say that Christianity is a viable option. Hindus don't say Buddhism is a viable path. Right? Everybody acknowledges that there's truth in virtually every religion. As a matter of fact, there are things to celebrate, to affirm, to be excited about in virtually every religion. But what they all claim in the end is that the other religions are not ultimately true. They fail. And they make this claim. Everybody makes this claim because of the third reason. And that is because the the major tenets of the faiths and the philosophies and the worldviews out there are all irreconcilable. I mean, you, you can't put them together. There's overlap. Yeah, Confucius says, don't do to others what you don't want them to to do to you. And Jesus says, do unto others what you want them to do unto you. Those are not the same, but there's a lot of overlap between those two. We can come up with other examples. But at the core, right? when it comes to the really, really big questions... Who am I? Where did I come from? What's expected of me? What ultimately matters? What happens to me when I die? How do I know these things? The biggest questions, they go in every different direction. So, generally, most Buddhists say there is no God. Hindus say there are millions of gods. Okay? They can't both be right. Hindus and, and, and Buddhists generally say that we will live many, many lives and over the course of those lives we will work out our own way forward. We will pay for our bad karma until we eventually lose our identity and lose all desire and, and are subsumed into a grand cosmic energy. Christians say you live once, you die once, you face judgment. You cannot earn salvation. There has to be someone to rescue you. And if you are reconciled with God, if you are redeemed with God, you don't lose your individuality. You don't lose desire. You become who you were made to be in the fullest. And all pure desire is met. Right? Those... Those two radically different views can't both be right. Now it's possible that they're all wrong. But they can't all be right. And I, I stress this today because the big view right now is that everybody's right. Every, every view can be right. If you sincerely believe it, that's all that matters. If I were going to diagram what we find out there today, it would look like the fourth diagram, which says you got lots of different arrows, and they all are headed in different directions. And, and what I would say is, about this, is that this is where we're at, and remarkably, many people want to say, right, All these arrows are headed in the same direction. Somebody has to say, no, (laughs) they're actually not. They're headed in very different directions. And the idea that they're all headed in the same direction, that all these arrows are pointing in the same direction, that idea is its own arrow. And it's called pluralism. And pluralism says, right, that in the end... In the end, you look inside yourself for what's true for you, and it'll all work out. And the test of faith is sincerity. No. Sincerity is a measure of belief. But it's not a test of faith. Sincerity also doesn't change anything. You can be sincerely Wrong. I can believe that two plus two equals five. My sincerity doesn't change the fact that two plus two equals four. And and we have to understand this is what's in the air we're breathing right now. Now I'm about to land the plane. I promise. And I realize that. Uh, I'm asking you to think a little bit more than you uh, were expecting to this morning. I don't know if I should apologize for that or not, and um, I know that some of you are hoping I'm going to say something practical. I want to say this is actually the most practical thing out there, right? This affects how you see and understand everything and what matters, and it really matters, and so it's important that we understand that at this moment, in the last 20 years, the, the, the foundations of Western culture, Greek, Roman, Christian, and Jewish ideas are being, uh, are being replaced. And as opposed to thinking, we're starting to just feel. And that will ultimately take us in a very different place. And it's not what we're called to do. So let me end by giving you five very brief admonitions. Admonitions. Number one, we need to love people, especially those we disagree with. We are called to love our enemies. The people who, uh, people hold deeply held, passionate positions. And it can lead to real conflict. And the people who want to say all roads lead in the same direction have a, for the most part, a very noble goal. They just want people to get along. Okay, that's noble. It can't come at the price of truth, but it's noble. And we need to recognize that we are called to love people. right? To proclaim the good news and engage in good works and to do it as Jesus did. And and to to love our enemies and to sacrifice ourselves for our enemies. So we need to be loving. Secondly, we need to appreciate and protect the genius of religious freedom. It's a very good thing uh, that everyone can believe whatever they want to believe in this country. It's a great thing. It's a wonderful privilege and a blessing. And it's all we need. We do not need the government to advocate for us. All we need is the freedom to believe whatever we want to believe. However, number three, we need to help people understand the difference between issues of political freedom and intellectual viability. Defending someone's right to believe something is different from saying that what they believe is right. Right? We need to understand, you're free to believe whatever you want to believe. But whatever you believe is not necessarily right. Number four, we need to help people understand that in matters of faith, sincerity is not a test of truth. (laughs) It's just a test of the intensity of your belief but we can be sincerely wrong. And saying all roads lead in the same direction is really not helpful. Don't give directions if that's what you think. Right? I mean, if, if someone's lost and they're trying to find their way to the hospital and you say, all roads lead there. That's not helpful. It's not right. And finally... We need people to understand, and we need to understand, that at some point, we have to place our bets. Today, everyone wants to keep all their options open, and so they've made an option of keeping all your options open. It's not an option. It doesn't work. At some point, you have to decide. Jesus stands in the middle of the road, and he says, you're either with me or you're not. I am God, you either believe that or you don't. I am Savior, Messiah, and Lord, follow me or not. But this option of saying good, God-like, best ever, not an option, in or out. The option of keeping all our options open is not an option. Love, proclaim, listen, explain, help people understand the claims. That Christ is making. We live in a world where there's a lot of crazy thinking or not thinking out there. Luke would not recognize any of it. He is reporting the things that happened. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you for the, for the report that we have been given. And we pray... We would see and understand with ever greater clarity what good news it actually is. Help us to understand that it's news and that it's good and that we are to proclaim it. pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.